Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Namaste, yogis. This is Andrew Seeley here to welcome you to the Yoga Revealed podcast. Be prepared to be blown away by the divine wisdom of one of my all-time favorite teachers, Siana Sherman. When I first moved to Santa Monica, I found Siana teaching her signature heartfelt mythic flow to packed classes at Exhale Yoga in Venice. Her deep knowledge of yoga philosophy and traditional mythic stories has helped me connect to the deeper roots of yoga. She is a priestess of sacred mantra, meaningful mudra, and magical myth, with an absolute wealth of knowledge that penetrates far beyond her exquisite asana practice. Today, we dig deep into the depth of relationships. Listen close as Siana reveals three potent keys to self-empowerment in your intimate relationships. I believe in my heart that this is now the time of a new humanity, of great awakening and integration of masculine and feminine within all of us. And that's what spirit is bringing through. Allow mantra to clear your mind as true intimacy we will find on this insightful episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast with Siana Sherman. I am feeling absolutely elated to have one of my most <laughs> amazing influences and an absolutely beautiful yogini here <laughs> on the Yoga Revealed podcast to share with you today. Namaste to the one and only Siana Sherman. <laughs> Namaste, Andrew. <laughs> the one and only Adonis Andrew. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, so it really is just super beautiful to have you on the podcast because it feels like it's been full circle um, from right. t- two and a half years mm-hmm. ago or so when I first started coming to your classes and really beginning to learn more about you and the beauty of what you teach. <laughs> and 
now the podcast is here and it's out <laughs> here to so many people and it's just like so awesome to have you on the podcast. It's ecstatic. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so we had an amazing practice today over at Hanuman Festival mm. and it was so touching to be in the class, in the mm. front row, just watching you do your thing as you do and see how you touch so many people mm. with your mystic flow and with your <laughs> your your beautiful root of what I would just call yoga philosophy. Like you're mm. so deep in the philosophy mm-hmm. and so deep in the the real story of the heroes and the, the mm. beautiful devis and the, the, <laughs> the amazing people behind the story of yoga who inspire all these postures and such that we do mm. today. So I, I'm super stoked <laughs> for this interview today. Thank you. Um, but just to kind of bring it to square one, we'd like to start off with how yoga was first revealed to you. How yoga was first revealed. Okay. <laughs> wow. Well, which lifetime? <laughs> this one. <laughs> if we're in this lifetime, really it came right at the end of my teenage years. And when I when I first heard the word yoga, I was around 19 years old. And I grew up in a really conservative part of the United States and mm-hmm. a very uh, deeply devotional religious family. Where at? In Kentucky. Wow. Mm-hmm. So the, the world that I grew up in was filled with kindness and good hearts and also quite insular and not very well versed in world religion or anything outside of the box mm-hmm. of, of what my family knew. And when I hit my teenage years, that, that, that great fierce, you know, strike of the rebellious nature of a teenager hit hard. <laughs> And I pushed against every current. It was like like a, a wild stallion spirit just trying to get out and gallop and be free because I felt so confined in a conformist world. Mm-hmm. And as I hit those rebellious years, with it came a big exploration on every avenue, every front. And I became pretty wild and <laughs> it entered, you know, a lot of nightclubs and parties and all of this, which was great because I would dance and I I had so much energy in me for self-discovery and I was also really angry at the confines. And so when I danced, I was setting myself free and I would just Mm -hmm. dance my emotions out in those teenage years. When I got to college, there was a lot that I had done to Mm self-sabotage my own being. And Part of it came from even abuse of alcohol and undergoing really extreme regimes within myself, trying to seek for some control within my own limited experience in hopes that I could break out at the same time. So there was anorexia, there was bulimia, Mm -hmm. there was so much of this struggle. And at the same time, it was such a paradox because... I was deeply devotional to the spirit of Mother Mary. Now I had, at 13, I completely uh, said I'm no longer part of organized religion, yet the inner devotional current to the Great Mother is what held me. So while I was undergoing all of this extreme rebellious and self-sabotage too, and trying to liberate myself, I was in very deep prayer. Mm. Very, very deep prayer. and. I was cocktail waitressing to put myself through university. And one night, it was like one in the morning on a Saturday night, I will always remember this, 
this, I go up to get the tray of drinks and the bartender says to me, you know, you should really do yoga. And I go, yoga? I'd never heard the word before. <laughs> and I said, what is that? And she says, you know what? I don't actually know. I just <laughs> felt like I needed to tell you that. And I think there's a class somewhere in a church, you know, in a basement. I said, okay. I kind of went to check it out and it seemed really, really strange. Yeah. And I thought, okay, that's not for me. One year goes by and we hit the mark of 1989 in the fall. And it's when the Berlin Wall comes mm. down. And I am sitting in my apartment and I'm watching this on the news, the, the breaking down and the triumph of tearing down this wall and the celebratory spirit and the emotions. And it was such a defining moment for me because it immediately inverted itself inside of me. And I said to myself, I want to break down my own walls around my heart, in my mind. I want to know what it is to love myself, what it is to be free. I, at this time, I was working with Amnesty International on Nelson Mandela Free Mandela campaigns on wow. campus. So you were already an activist. I, I did a lot of activism. So as I was working on that, we had this, a two about two months later from the Berlin Wall, we had this big vigil on campus where it was like 2,000 university students. And we gave everyone a luminary where everyone held delight. And right at sunset, we orchestrated this group um, vigil where we focused our attention. I didn't know what meditation was at this point, and but that we focused our attention on the light to call forth the setting free of Mandela. And we've been working all year and this was kind of the culmination. And we were sitting there and it was just thousands of us. And I had this light and I remember going into this space and gazing at the light and I burst into tears and I realized I was praying, in fact, for Mandela's freedom, but I was praying for my freedom. Mm -hmm. And I was praying for everyone's freedom. And right at that moment, a photographer came right in front of me and snapped my photo. And I'm like, in tears, <laughs> gazing at And it was like the front page of the whole newspaper, which wow. was really um, funny. And they said on it that I was meditating. Mm -hmm. Interesting, which I, I had been meditating all my life in the way of deep prayer, but I never heard you know, yoga, meditation, that was yeah. so out of my reality. And then shortly after that, Mandela actually did um, get set free. But I took a trip up to New York City where I like dancing in the nightclubs. <laughs> and one night I got locked out. It was late at night. It was like one, two in the morning. I was banging on the windows. Hey, you guys wake up. But everyone was totally asleep. passed out. <laughs> and there was, like there, was, there was no hope that they were waking up. <laughs> so I wandered out on the streets. And I found a bookstore that was open all night. So I played this game at the threshold of the bookstore and I walked in and I said to myself, I'll just walk around and wait until a book jumps out at me. So I walk around, I'm walking around the edges and kid you not, a book like jumped off the shelf and fell on my head. I see it coming and I reach and I grab it, take it and I open it and it says the power of your subconscious mind. And I sit down and I just opened it, I devoured it. I just sat there all night. I said to the bookstore owner, um, can I just sit here, right here and read? I'm locked out. He said, sure, go for it. 
And I read and it talked about creating your own reality and the mm. power of the subconscious and the power of meditation and the abilities that we have inside of ourselves and how we limit ourselves and that we're actually so magical, but we forget and we allow the outer agendas of society and other people's thoughts and our own um, limited thinking to to sequester the freedom of our spirit. Mm. And so I was reading this and it was just... It was almost like just shaking off layers and layers of burdens and remembering, remembering, remembering. And it, it shook it shook me up in such a good way that right after that I quit everything. I I was able to finish university really quickly and I moved up to Chicago for the dance clubs <laughs> and went and I started dancing and I worked in a health food store, so I'm going to change my life. I'm going to eat healthy because I had never done that. Really funny story. I worked as a cocktail waitress in Chicago, mm-hmm. too, and I was on my rollerblades because that's how I got around. And I saw this sign, and it said, organic. Um, what did it say? It said something like organic festival. Mm-hmm. I'd never heard the word organic mm-hmm. in my life. And I was a biochemist because I was going to medical school and I left that path for the unknown. So I see organic, I I rollerblade up and I say, oh, is this like an organic chemistry festival? And they're looking at me and, you know, (laughs) smiling, no organic food. I said, what's organic food? So then I met this whole stream of people involved with John Robbins and Diet for a New America. And then I started working with them and I learned about, you know, uh, Monsanto and the way that food was mistreated and abused and all of this. And so it opened my reality entirely. And I said, okay, I'm going to work at a health food store so I can learn more and really Mm -hmm. nourish myself. Then at the health food store, I would watch across the street one night a week, all these people come out with a yoga mat, which I didn't know what that was yet. <laughs> You've got these rolls of I paper. Know, exactly. <laughs> and so they'd they'd come over and this one night, this one man was kind of beaming. He was just beaming like how you are. Just, uh. I mean, really, like you, you just meet you and you're radiating some eternal radiant force. And this man came and I got up the courage and I said, you know, you come over here at the end of whatever you do over there. And every time you come in, I feel so good and like you're glowing. Mm -hmm. And I said, what is it that you're doing? And he said, we're doing yoga. And why don't you come next week? And so then that was the next hit of that word yoga. And I said, that's it, I'm I'm signing up. So then I signed up and it was a a really sweet eight eight week yoga, Hatha yoga course. Mm -hmm. At the eighth session, I learned the Surya Namaskaras, which blew me away. I just loved them. Yeah. So did it resonate with you from dance? Amazing. I just, I love the Surya Namaskaras. So then I'd go from dance, rollerblade to the lake at sunrise, do three Namaskaras, Hmm. chant and meditate. And I'd go home and go to sleep. And that was like my initiation into yoga. Wow. (laughs) So you just started doing it every single day. You just felt it resonated well with your body. From the moment I, from the moment that that initial contact was made, I was in. And I left everything and single-pointedly just went for it. Mm-hmm. Before before I knew it, I was traversing in the continents, seeking teachers and masters and gurus and ashrams and community environments. And I lived in 
macrobiotic communities, hippie communities, mm-hmm. yoga ashrams, everything you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And I just became a total nomadic, wild, passionate, mystic gypsy in search of awakening. Wow. So at this time, mm-hmm. just in the sense of you finding this class, when was it that you actually began studying yoga as you know it today? Who was your first teacher? I would say I started right then. This was a very good teacher. Mm. He was I remember his name. It was Bob Wolf. I still remember his name. I never took another class with him because I left Chicago shortly after that. Yeah. But um I the first big stream of yoga that I came to after those initiations was Iyengar yoga and then I traveled to India shortly after to meet Iyengar and um, meet all the communities that I could in the Iyengar tradition mm-hmm. and I studied with a really close disciple. I went to the Pune, the Iyengar Institute, and then I went up to the Himalayas and studied with one of uh, Iyengar's really main disciples, and I stayed there with him for quite a while. You know, I'm still trying to remember because there was Suresh, was one man that I studied with in hard war, and then this other man, it was a form of Rudra's name, and Mm. I might be able to remember it, but we would get up at 4 a.m., we do all the oblations, and I was staying at the edge of the Ganges, so we would go and do all the oblations at the Ganges in the morning prayers. Then we would hit the yoga shala, and it was a fierce practice. It was mm-hmm. like a three hours. We'd be in TikToks back and forth and deep breathing, and it was full on. It was amazing. Yeah. And so I spent then, and I had a few really key teachers in the Iyengar tradition that I then apprenticed with. And I thought, you know, I, I might go in that route. And as I was within that tradition, on one of my uh, return returns to the United States after being in India, I ran into, there's this whole story. You know me, I'm like a storyteller, but yeah. we might wrap back around to I the story. I love your stories. Okay. That's the beauty of your, your, your <laughs> being, like, is the stories and the amazing myths that you're able to yeah. transmit. I love the stories. And um, well, I was up in North India, and this whole train ride went wrong. <laughs> and everything about it just, I ended up being in a compromised position, let's say, as a woman, a young woman traveling mm. on my own on long trains. Yeah. And on the second night of this one, um, train ride where I was really having to defend myself and stay awake and I was very tired and I I had my luggage chained to me, chained to the poles to keep everything together. Mm-hmm. The These six men came in with white turbans and white gowns and they came in and they literally kicked every everyone out of my cabin and they sat down really upright, really kind. They didn't speak English and they conveyed to me that they would protect me. Mm. And ordered food for me and chai. And we still had a couple more days on this train ride. And I never really knew who they were. And again, I was in my early 20s. This was all wildly new to me. When I got back to the States, a series of events happened. And I was walking on the streets of Eugene, Oregon. And I see one of these men in the white and you dress. And, in the white, and, and I said, I walked up to him and I said, um can you just tell me who you are? And I told him a little bit about my experience. He says, why don't you come to my house and meet our teacher? And I did. And we went to the house and it was a big dinner and it was Yogi Bhajan of Kundalini Yoga. And and they, then they, and I sat with them and they said, 
we're we're Sikhs and we protect the goddess and we serve her. So that's what they were doing for you on that train ride. They were serving you as mm. the goddess. And so I then trained with Kundalini Yoga and became a, a teacher in that for some time. And then it opened up into Ashtanga Yoga. I, I met Richard Freeman, who just I revere. I revere he is so Richard. Incredible. I fully revere him. I I truly feel he's one of the great masters of the yoga tradition in our modern contemporary world and have so much respect and love for this great being. Mm -hmm. And I then entered Ashtanga Yoga and, and was in that for several years and went back and forth to India with Patavi Joyce, even moved to Boulder to be with Richard for a couple years and in his teacher training. So there was all of that that was moving and alive mm -hmm. in me. And before that, I studied a vinyasa form, which was more dance-based and mudra-based with Kali Ray. And mm -hmm. she started tri yoga and she was down in Santa Cruz and there was lots of mantra and chanting and mudras and like all these dance sequence forms. Mm -hmm. And you can see like there's a lot all of layers. All the inspiration of what, what your yoga is so, today. It's a fusion for sure. And Anusara then was born into the world and I apprenticed with John Friend for four years and then I was deeply rooted and connected with the community of the Anusara yogins. So beautiful, it was magnificent and just so focused on the power of the heart and the convergence of the, the power of the heart inside the practice and I loved it. And there was more influences as well, but where I landed now in the last few years is I created what I call mythic yoga flow, which is when I tell the stories of the deities and embody mantra, mudra, mythology in the embodied sequence. And I'm now launching my school of yoga, wow. which is <laughs> called Rasa Yoga. Yeah. And I first learned the teachings of Rasa around 1999, 2000. And it's a teaching of Tantra my my love of the yoga tradition is specifically through tantra i love tantra in particular and i first came to it in 1993 and i've been in a deep dive with many tantric teachers since then mm -hmm. but this word rasa means it's like juicy tasty the taste of life the nectar it's 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 full like creative juicy yum 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 mm -hmm. you know and when i first heard those teachings i i i thought it hit me in such a way where I, I knew it from inside. It started to spin an alchemical wheel of remembrance inside of me. And now, 16 years later, this fall, I'm, I'm really launching Rasa Yoga, which is based then on a soul alchemy wheel, which is all about our alchemical transformation as souls in this embodied clothing of consciousness. Mm, wow. That's absolutely beautiful because I feel that your practice is truly one that embodies this mythological knowledge and this, mm -hmm. this wisdom of which you transfer from your practice into your teachings. And it became so clear with me when mm -hmm. I first started going to your classes that what you were teaching was completely different, but it mm. was so well informed from the anatomical mm -hmm. learnings and teachings right. of yoga. 
And, you know, whether it was, you know, me going to Noah Maze's class mm-hmm. and like really learning like the Hatha yoga or going to a workshop with Richard Freeman and really learning the Ashtanga, whenever mm-hmm. I would come to your class, it was like you brought together so many of these aspects <laughs> and just made it the nectar. Mm-hmm. Like you said, like the, the, the juicy, amazing mm-hmm. parts of these practices and form them together and that's why I keep coming back to your oh, classes these days. You. Seriously. <laughs> it's you so, so uniquely beautiful <laughs> and so well informed and it makes thank my body you. feel amazing afterwards. So thank you. I still appreciate y'all. Thank I, you. I, 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 I'm only speaking the truth, you know? <laughs> it's like I I really feel that we as students gravitate towards mm-hmm. the truth of what resonates most with our frequency. Mm-hmm. And you as a being, I feel, resonate very well mm-hmm. with my frequency. And so Thank I truly you. appreciate and you for so that. So much of this, I mean, I, was tr- I truly was trained as a scientist. So I love the anatomical. I love, mm-hmm. you know, to really break it down. I love it. And when I left that particular track I was on, the reason... I chose to leave it is because of the tug in my soul for something more and something that couldn't be always explained by the rational mind and the the as I've learned since the language of the soul never runs in rational linear patterns the language of the soul is metaphorical mm-hmm. so to then become a well-rounded human being and an integrated human being we want to be able to anchor and be clear and grounded through the rational and the linear methodology when that is really the time and also be quite spacious and open to the mystery and how it reveals itself within us and for that we need a totally different space Mm -hmm. within our being to really hear from inside and see that even in tantra there is the understanding asana is the word that we know now stretch back through time and we speak of katana and katana are the dancing streaming forms of the body that awaken through breath and mantra and that the breath and mantra so tantra will you you cannot be in a tantric stream without the power of mantra and the the song of the soul and so for the tantrikas asana was really the invocation of breath and matrika shakti of mantra streaming through you and taking its shape and form. Mm. So by listening all the way inside and the mantra arising, then you know the forms that you're going to take. It's called katana. And then the tantric understanding of this word asana, which I was talking about in class today, is that asana means seat. Tantrikas understand this, that it is the throne Mm. that the deity, the divine, takes within us as we practice is an installation of divine in us as we practice and our asana then is the throne the enthronement of the divine so you know it's like you can feel it when you speak in this way you can feel it Mm -hmm. now to hold that with the understanding the biomechanics and the science of it and the ways that we can explain the methodology so it's clear and it can translate to the rational mind, which is important. And to do that without compromising the spirit and the soul of the practice. That for me is the real integrated power of what's possible. And then we as human beings, we, we, can, we can be articulate 
and clear and direct and we can be metaphorical and whimsical and and spacious in our creative expression in ways that we don't even know we are capable of yet mm -hmm. because the mystery and the magic reveal themselves from that deep inner listening space wow so we really worked through the asana and with the mantra to get to that deep inner listening space. Mm -hmm. And once we reach that deep inner listening space, from my understanding, what you're saying is that we're able to then create space, clear vessel mm -hmm. for the, the, the divinity to be within Beautiful. us. Thank you. Thank mm. you. Wow. Thank you for saying that. There's this word sankalpa, which means your root intention, your highest intention, your root, you know, your ground and your wings, your intention that holds everything. And for a very long time, my sankalpa, I always stated it as pure heart, clear vessel. Mm. So at the beginning of practice, when I initiated and invoked the opening attunement of my practice, I called my sankalpa pure heart, clear vessel. Mm -hmm. And let it then take embodied form through the practice. Definitely. So you've woven together these amazing mm. practices, you know, Ashtanga yoga and the mantra mm -hmm. and all of these different practices. But I really would like to know more about the teachings the, of the, the, the mythology great. and the philosophy of mm. yoga. How did you begin yes. becoming more okay, intertwined great, with that? Okay, great question. When, when I first started studying yoga, I... I started it in the same way that I learned to study in university, which was through text and memorization and really studying very deeply like this. And I, I was a, a bit dismayed actually at, at really studying some of the more classical yoga texts because they didn't feel alive inside of me for my experience. And that was just, and I really tried. I gave myself fully to it, like I do everything. Mm -hmm. And I was pushing up against an edge in myself that had a lot of conflict, actually. Now, at the same time that I came to yoga, I underwent these initiations and I started going back to Ireland, which is a lot of my heritage. And I was studying with, in the Celtic tradition, of priestesses and druids and very earth-based understanding. And then back in the States, I was also training with Native American Indians and shamans mm. and studying earth plant-based medicine. So for me, the teachings and the studies of yoga, they all were initiated also with druids, priestesses, shamans, Native American, indigenous people, tribal people, earth medicine. And I couldn't create a bridge between some of the way that classical yoga was being translated through these particular teachers and my embodied experience of indigenous soul. Mm. And so I was questioning very deeply, I, I put, but I knew that the actual practices that I was doing were feeling so good. So the conflict was in the way I was reading the text or the way they were translated to me because I don't read Sanskrit, so you rely on, on translation. Some type of translation, yes. And what I felt in my embodied being. 
Then in 1993, I, through a series of dreams actually, over six months, I was guided by a mystical force within the dream world who would show up with a peacock feather and bop me on the head <laughs> in, in my dream world and say, wake up, wake up. It's time for you to wake up and now go here, go here. And he, and he directed me for six months until he was directed me. Was it a voice me. or a face? It or... was a face and a voice, which who I would discover who it was later because I didn't know. Again, I was so in the unknown. I just mm-hmm. went open and free. And six months later, I landed at an ashram um, called Gurudev Siddhapith in Ganeshpuri. And on the day that I landed, there was a huge buzz. There was thousands of people. I was taken straight into the ashram. And they said, oh, our teacher is coming today. And as I'm walking down the halls, I see this huge photo of the man who's been in my dreams. <laughs> and it was Baba Muktananda. So I go to the front desk and I say, oh, where is that teacher? I need to go. He's he's the one who got me here through the dream world. I'd like to go meet him. And they just laughed and smiled. They said, oh, no, he's, you know, he's taken Maha Samadhi. He's he's no longer with us. And I didn't. I was like, what's Samadhi? What's Maha? Like, I don't know anything. I just know that. I've seen him in my dreams he continuously with the peacock feather. Oh and then I goodness. found out that that was one of his methods as well with his own um, students. Wow. So then on that day, Guru Mai Chidvalasananda arrives and I'm taken immediately to meet her. I undergo, I end up living there through the whole summer and this, this particular ashram then is rooted in Kashmir Shaivism, which is one of the lineages of Tantra. Now recognition begins and as i'm as i'm listening to the stories and the teachings through the tantric universe understanding my my body is scintillating the awareness and the feeling of what i'm actually experiencing is being articulated not as a conflict but as recognition so then it was at that moment i recognized oh It's just that there's different streams of yoga philosophy, different ways. You could be a renunciate. You could be a householder. Two really just different choices. Mm -hmm. We're not talking like right or wrong. We're talking about the resonance of your spirit. Yes. And I began to understand that my resonance of my spirit really was a tantric path. And that I very much um, experienced directly the radical affirmation of embodiment as a gift. And that through the gateway of the body was the direct opening and merging of divine and human. And that I didn't have to be out of my body or renounce anything to be spiritual, but that spiritual liberation and worldly fulfillment, as one of Lakshmi's names, Bukti Mukti Pradayani, she who confers Bukti and Mukti, worldly fulfillment and spiritual liberation are not at odds, but they are the paradox to be embraced and they are sweethearts, in Mm. fact. So, and then the dance began. And since 1993, then I have just searched the world for for the tantric universe understanding and have studied with many, many scholars whom you know many of them and have devoted my life to that particular embodiment But then the stories came because at the same time, the tantric tradition loves the stories, but I was also studying with a South American um, shaman. And my prayer was, and it was on a Maha Shivaratri in my early 20s, and I stayed up all night chanting 
uh, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, 108 times, 108 times. It took me all night and I made this little fire pit in the backyard and walking around and I called in, I said, my, my greatest wish is to know the embodied stories of the earth and to know and understand life through the stories, the living stories. Mm. Shortly after I met the shaman, he then was an embodiment. He was one of the most magnificent storytellers I'd ever met, Martin Prechtel. And he wrote this book. He's written many, but the first one, Secrets of a Talking Jaguar. And that then woke up storytelling. And I met the Irish woman that I would become a student of as a priestess. She was a bard and a storyteller of the greatest accord. So I had this Celtic influence, this shamanic South American influence, and then the tantric influence. Mm -hmm. And what I found was when, when I went to truly understand yoga, that all of it could happen within the storytelling. And especially when I started teaching, because I would do, you know, teach classes and I wanted to bring the philosophy. And I found sometimes when I talked to straight up philosophy, like, okay, here's passage, yeah, you know, verse, and they're kind of the faces. Or, mm -hmm. and, but then as soon as I started to tell a story, all of the teachings are hidden inside of there, but it's exciting mm -hmm. and it's creative. And it's not placing an agenda on someone, like as if you have to learn this in a rote memory way, but it's more like, let's wake up your soul mm -hmm. and wake up your thirst for the embodied understanding and let it become alive and creative inside of you. Mm -hmm. And then, we're, you know, that's rasa. And so it wakes up the creative spirit inside of you through storytelling, but all the teachings are there. Wow. So at this time, I, I must ask you to reveal to our listeners what is Tantra? Because I feel that the ah, word is so yes, easily... Yes, it's so misunderstood. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so I, I would really like to go into the depth of the word Tantra. Okay. And also yeah. speak to us um, on the similarities of Tantra with the Celtic knowledge mm -hmm. and with the yeah. South American knowledge and how these lineages of, of wisdom continue to intertwine. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. You know, and I was saying to the first class I taught here three days ago, I guess, I said, I really feel like we're at a time in the history of humanity, maybe more than ever before, and it's probably coming out of the Piscean Age, and we're really coming out of 2,000 years of a lot of patriarchal ways of getting things done, mm -hmm. which is the design of the universe, but we're shifting now. And one of the things that I see happening is the awakening of universal language that crosses the borders and the different paradigms of, of the heart waking up. And so whether it's Celtic or esoteric Christianity or um, shamanism or Tantra or whatever it is, that there's a universal language of love that's really at stake that's waking up right now. And the way that I described it is what I feel like I feel like yogis are modern day mystics mm -hmm. and that one of the things that is happening is the structures of churches and temples and dojos and shalas and whatever you want to say the structure is that houses the spirit of something that those structures are all dissolving in the ocean of the heart and it doesn't even matter what it's called in a certain way anymore but some a greater force is waking up inside of the universal language of love mm -hmm. and we find different resonant pathways that that help us along our way but there is this collective understanding 
that all of the outer surface structures can dissolve into one ocean and reemerge in whatever shape or form can most serve us at the time. So I like this question because it's like that. And then you have then you have the temples and the shrines and the outdoor spaces and the indoor churches, all of it becomes a field. So Tantra, if we look to the word, I think sometimes to break things down through their etymologies, one of the sweetest ways of understanding something, tan and tra. Tan comes from, in Sanskrit, every every word comes from verbal roots. Mm -hmm. And so they all come from a verbal root. So tan comes from a verbal root, then that means to stretch. And we know the, the asana, uttanasana, mm -hmm. the intense stretching tan, mm -hmm. the back of the legs. Okay, so tan means to stretch. Tra means an instrument, a device, or a tool. So that's one layer of its meaning. Now in Sanskrit, every word has multiple Layers. meanings. Multiple, yes. multiple. So that first layer means instrument, tool, or device. Another layer of tra means that which traverses, that which crosses over. Mm -hmm. So then you have tan and tra to stretch, a tool that helps us to stretch. Tan and tra to traverse, that which traverses us in the stretching and growing of ourselves. Tantra is the way that we stretch and grow in our lives, no matter what. And then, this is a really important understanding, it is the embrace of paradox. So this is essential. The main metaphor of Tantra is the loom. Have you ever seen a loom where you're yeah. weaving a tapestry? When I first started learning Tantra, I said, I'm going to go take a weaving course because it, this metaphor keeps coming up and mm -hmm. I want to understand, understand it. it better. So you have a loom, which is the tool, right? And when you weave something, you cross one thread, let's say horizontal and another thread vertical. Mm -hmm. So you've got horizontal, vertical, horizontal, vertical, and then you have different mathematical formulas to get the designs that you want. And then you start pumping the machine, you know, through the foot pedals, through the arms, and little by little you start weaving and you create this magnificent tapestry at the end by crossing over from horizontal and vertical and back and forth and creating these patterns. Well, this is why Tantra then, it then comes to mean that which we weave the tapestry of our life. Mm. That by which we embrace the paradox of opposites to create the third magnificent thing, which is art and beauty and creative expression. We are taking the vertical and the horizontal. We're taking the masculine and the feminine. We are taking spirit and matter. We are taking the imminent and the transcendent and crossing them over into an alchemical fusion where together they unite and not just unite in a way that merges, but unite in a way that creates. And so Tantra then is about a very radical affirmation of embodied life as an immense gift and that we are co-creators with spirit and all that is to manifest and dream our lives into being as a creative artistic expression 
of all that is. That Tantra says, why would the universe bother to even create any of this? Why? Why do we go through this? And for the Tantrikas, they say it is for the delight, for the play of consciousness, that Mm. this is the sacred playground. Consciousness embodies as each one of us, as Leela, as the power of its own delight, as Mm. the creative scintillating force of coming into embodied form. And, And I can talk more, but and then Tantra also means the f- a form of text and agamas and spiritual scriptures. But the essence of Tantra for us right now, I- and for this format, is to say that we radically affirm everything. Nothing is cast out. Nothing is rejected. Nothing is denied. Nothing is made wrong. It's all part of the alchemical soul journey. Wow. And I feel that in that sense of weaving together the divine and the matter and mm-hmm. the the feminine and the masculine and this like divine leela of life mm-hmm. it, it can so often be i would say not misunderstood but um also included as like the art of sex mm. right totally so that's where so that's what happened with tantra unfortunately it transmitted in its understanding as being only sex Mm. and and then and also as power that translated into like a a sorcerer sorcery type of power so these Mm. were the two places where it got pushed into um, translation that then made people scared of it Mm -hmm. well the truth is it's about the beauty of our lives and that the that we are beings of erotic sensual expressive energy in fact the tantricas translate this word shakti which means creative power and energy of the universe another translation for it is the eros of the universe that which is the juicy love desire Hmm. from the yearning of our being so that that innermost yearning desire to express ourselves sensually erotically is fully affirmed and fully embodied and so yes the sexuality is divine and humanly divine and when we unite in the body temple and with our hearts open and we unite sexually that it is a liberating force of a cosmic recognition between us and our beloved Mm -hmm. and that we are not separate from the divine but our beloved actually becomes the face of god and reflects back to us in the way of darshana that we too are god and goddess wow so this then is some of that beautiful metaphorical language and and iconic imagery from the tantricas That's beautiful. And thank you so much for explaining that with such depth because I feel so often people look at um, the word Tantra and automatically see it as like a blacklisted word because it's mm-hmm. it's something that has been very much so, um, you know, associated with yeah. sex. And even so, it's just very sad that people are so, so pushy and kind of uh, what I would call just uneducated about yes. sex well you know i want to say one thing here not to go on too big of a rant which i could do <laughs> but i'm gonna hold myself back a little bit really 
we have been in an age of patriarchy and part of the big downside to patriarchy and the way that it was taken over by corporations or religious institutions that wanted to have power is that sex and sexual energy when it's really in alignment is a a fierce form of power like a magnificent Mm -hmm. understanding of all of life if sex was made wrong there's the institutions are better able to control if sex is made diabolical diabolical and demonized then the forces that want to control have you in a place of fear because Mm -hmm. your natural instinctual embodied desire is to create create. and if that's made wrong and repressed right away they've got you in a place of fear Mm -hmm. and not believing in yourself and not expressing yourself and then sexual energy and creative energy as we know are really in a are one and so now you are less creative, you're less sexual, you make it wrong, you know, all this thing is happening and the forces that want to control, they grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And we're coming to a time, that's why in the in the real indigenous understanding of masculine and feminine, there is there is like just a root awakening that these that the gateways of our senses actually take us closer to God goddess. And what happens is that we, I use this word darshana before, which means to see, and you have darshan with like a saint or a murti where you gaze to them to have a transmission. But the, what really happens in darshan is that you are flipped inside that saint or inside that murti and you're gazing back at your own self. Mm. And so this is what happens in love, real lovemaking is that all of a sudden you're intertwined, commingling, ecstatic, erotic experience, you start to see your own self through the eyes of your beloved. And now we are seeing and we are seeing to be seen and to see. And this then opens up what I call the eternal flame of eternal love. And we are in that stream now and we're in a whole different place of transmission. So I feel that as we are releasing a lot of strong patriarchal forces of transmission, including the way yoga has transmitted itself to the West, a lot of it has come through a a strong hard line of patriarchal forces. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, again, there's no judgment in this. I'm just expressing like what I feel and what I see. And there is a loss of the deep feeling space of it being crafted and awakening from inside and the real integration of masculine and feminine. I believe in my heart that this is now the time of a new humanity of great awakening and integration of masculine and feminine within all of us. And that that's the, that's what spirit is bringing through. Truly, I completely agree with you in the sense that the creative, the creative spirit now is very prominent and there's a lot of people who are stepping outside of the box to say that we need to become more in touch with our spiritual, sexual, mm-hmm. divine beings. 
And in doing so, we can then empower others to do the same. Mm. And through our creative wisdom, we can then heal this earth. Mm. That's what we're here to do, Mm. you know? And there's so many people I feel nowadays that are, especially in my generation, that are really becoming more aware of this. And that's why there's, you know, a rise of the polyamory and all these different types of communities that are really finding like this almost kind of like a, a re-arising of the 60s mm-hmm. of like the free love movement mm-hmm. um but i feel in a more mindful way which is yeah, really good and I, I, you know what i will say about that there's there's shadow to everything mm-hmm. and to f- always when we oscillate on the pendulum to extremes we have we have to investigate the shadow everywhere and one of the shadows of polyamory, and again, I don't, I'm, I don't have like a morality thing around any of this, but mm-hmm. I want to just name a few things, is that it can also be a way of bypassing emotional intimacy. And this then, if we really want to evolve mm-hmm. as divinely human beings and humanly divine beings, we will need to turn and look within ourselves to our own shadow places, investigate and love ourselves more fully, be able to name them, look for the places where we are trying to escape something, especially if we are trying to escape deep feeling because sometimes polyamory is like, okay, let me express myself freely, but mm-hmm. we are totally bypassing Hiding what's really exactly and, and afraid to be vulnerable, afraid to reveal ourselves because when you are in a, a really committed devotional relationship with with another, Mm -hmm. it brings up everything. And you have to be willing to be vulnerable and bare and raw and to let yourself be seen on that level and to love more fully because of it. So, so again, like always, if we can just take a look at where, why we're doing what we're doing. And, and if we are polyamorous and that is like truly feeding our spirit and you know our wings are growing and our and our roots are deepening and amazing but if we are polyamorous in order to escape emotional intimacy of like really showing up Mm -hmm. in a true way then it would be a moment for a sacred pause and ask ourselves okay what's the real integration and the wholeness inside myself that i am seeking is it going to be fulfilled from outside of me yeah no. and I, I feel that um especially if we look at the uh, mythological um philosophy of yoga and we see you know there's arjuna and um there's ram and sita mm-hmm. and there's all these beloveds you know mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. these deep relationships and it, it's so often that um i think that the depth of relationships are often um, kind of put off as not important. Mm-hmm. And especially nowadays, I think that there's a very beneficial aspect to looking for deep love mm-hmm. and to really allowing yourself to be vulnerable enough to have a deep love with someone and to really invest yourself in trying to make things work Mm -hmm. um and i i would say you as a amazing human being i really admire you Mm. and your relationships Mm. and um knowing you know your past relationship Mm -hmm. and now your present relationship Mm -hmm. and how devoted you were 
to your past relationship to making it work Mm -hmm. and how devoted you are now to your current relationship Mm -hmm. and progressing and blossoming in it and to seeing just the luster of you in both of these relationships Mm. and how true you are to yourself Mm. is very admirable because it really helps me to see as a man you Mm. know how strong women and empowered women should be in a relationship Mm. seriously Mm. i'm I'm very much so that i admire you for that thank Um, you so to speak to our listeners um i feel that you are a prime example and a beautiful leader of women Mm. of empowered women Mm. What would you say are three steps that women can take who are listening to this to Mm, help empower their relationships? For relationships specifically? Okay, let me feel into this. Okay, I'm going to just fly with this a little bit and we'll see. The first one that wants to come through is to know your self-worth. For, and this could be for men and women, but everyone, to know your self-worth and to know that you do not need external validation from a relationship or any source outside of yourself for you to be fully worthy. And if we have the ground and the foundation of self-worth and really honoring and loving ourselves, then we will be able to have clear, healthy boundaries so that we can be in relationships in a way that we can encounter whatever it is we must encounter and still thrive. When two people can come to each other from a place of inner self-worth and enter a stream of intimacy, then when the tough stuff comes, we won't make the other wrong or uh, doubt ourselves or invalidate our own experience, but we can open up a conversation and open our hearts to each other. So the first thing for women is to really know your self-worth and truly cultivate your self-love. So it is never the validation from external to internal, but the self arising from deep in your sovereign center. That's number one, self-worth. That's a good one. (laughs) Self-worth and sovereign center, I would say. Mm -hmm. Okay, second. This is, I I, I don't like to overly generalize because I know that there's so many different ways, but there can often be, there can be a tendency in the feminine energies. And again, this is in men and women. The feminine energy wants to look out support and take care of Mm -hmm. by nature is just trying to be that force that that sees what people need and really okay let me help let me help let me serve and all of this which is beautiful i mean that is that nature Mm -hmm. and women it's so important to remember to truly take care of yourself and to be nourished. You come first. And, mm-hmm, and to be deeply nourished. And if the ground of self-worth and self-love is there, see, then the second one will will be much easier because you will turn to yourself and say, 
bless this body temple. I want to take care of you. And then I can be all the more embracing and radiant as I take care of others. So this is really important. Many times this will require creative thinking and resourcefulness because we have mothers with you know, lots of children and even um, working out in the world and with careers and children and, and their relationships and so wielding, truly wielding many, many uh, weapons, so to speak, a multiple, <laughs> multiple armed <tools>. goddess. <laughs> and so this will require having a clear communication with, with the intimate circle around you and with friends. And one of the most important things, the ways that women can honor themselves and take care of themselves will be to have a circle of sisterhood. And this could be two other sisters, three other sisters, but let's say that once a month on a new moon or a full moon that you came into a sacred space with your sisters and you took the time to nourish yourselves. Three sisters could go all get massages together. Mm -hmm. They could sit or you could have a big group of, uh, of sisters in a circle and pass a talking stick and share what's in your heart. The feminine energies the feminine energies love to talk things through. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily need resolution. So if there's something that's bothering uh, the feminine energy, she just likes to express it and talk about it and then she starts to feel better. She doesn't necessarily need a solution. The masculine energy is more problem solving oriented mm -hmm. and they like to find solutions. So sometimes in the mask, you know, the, the male female relationship of opposite gender, the woman's just like, oh, I'm upset. She's just like, blah, 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 blah. I just want to talk this through. And the man loving her wants to find Create a resolution, a yeah. but she doesn't need a solution. She just needs to talk it through. Mm -hmm. And he's in the midst of all her talking, trying to figure out how to <laughs> solve it. You know, This so is totally it's relating like, to our relationship It's, right it's true. I mean, this is like what happens. And then... Then what happens is then the man like needs like a little space. So he goes into a cave yep. and the woman's like, where are you going? I need to talk to you. And so now like the best way that the feminine energy can serve that because the masculine energy does need a cave, mm -hmm. needs a little alone time. time. And so then the most gracious feminine essence to do at that time is to bless the masculine going into the cave. Do not try to pull him out ahead of time, nor when he comes out, berate him or give him the cold shoulder for having gone in. If the feminine energy can do this, then the masculine in its perfect time reemerges and feels loved by the feminine and then is ready to share and speak about it. But she has to remember, do not make him wrong for going in, don't try to pull him out too early. And when he does come out, don't berate him and give him the cold shoulder and be like, okay, you were in there, so I'm not talking to you. Mm -hmm. You want to welcome. Mm -hmm. So the second one, I know we went on, you know how I am. With no, <laughs> but this, the second one then is for a woman to really take care of herself. So how does she do that? Circles of sisterhood. Giving herself a little alone time too. Writing women love to... Uh, like write in their journals. That's a great way of a woman cultivating her own time of solitude in a way that connects her closer 
to her empowerment as a woman. So she can write, she can work with her dreams, she can be in sisterhood, she can get massages, she can cook a beautiful meal for herself or have someone cook it for her. You know, so she takes care of herself. And when her man, if he's if he's um, a, a male gender, let him have a space. And then when he takes his space, great, perfect time to take your space too, mm-hmm. right? And take care of yourself. And this, and all of this can be whether we're man, man, woman, woman, because we all have the masculine and feminine within us. But as Marianne Williamson says, she says, well, women are here in this body getting their masters in the feminine and their minor in the masculine. <laughs> and the men embodied are getting their masters in the masculine and their minor in the feminine. Yes, right. Indeed. And I always thought that that was a smart way to say it. So the second one is, okay. One, establish your self-worth. Like, know, know your self-worth. Honor yourself, love yourself. Two, um, really take the time to care for yourself, to nourish yourself. We had all those ways. Three, I feel that what I want to say right now is for women to practice being assertive. Mm. And what I mean by this is to... Take the time to feel what you feel, to honor it. Hone yourself to center and be able to articulate what your needs are, what you are feeling without making anyone else wrong and clearly state in an assertive way where you are inside yourself. If we can cultivate true clear, conscious, assertive communication. This is going to help relieve us from the two opposite ends of communication, which one is passive aggressive or two overtly aggressive. So when we're not assertive, like really clear and honest about what's happening for us without making anyone else wrong without projecting or putting blame or shame into the mix, but really just owning it. Here's how I feel. Here's what's happening. Here's what I need, etc. And just being like, you know, lovingly powerful and assertive in our communication. If we're not able to do this, then a lot of times it ends up being passive aggressive. The same stuff keeps happening. We never speak it. And then all of a sudden we're building up layers and layers of resentment and then it comes out in these nitpicky ways where it's a passive aggressive and then the other person starts to feel it and they're not liking it and it's not clear it's a murky ground so that's one thing that happens a lot and then on the other side is just fully like a volatile hostile aggressive like if something happens just automatically like furious and snapping and pissy and you know, because you haven't stated in a clear, conscious way what's really happening. So that would be my third. So one, self-worth, two, self-care, and three, assertive, clear communication. Mm, Those are so vital, so absolutely vital for healthy relationships and for women feeling empowered. And I also feel for men as well, same Mm -hmm. thing. 
Um, I truly appreciate that. That was like <laughs> gold. Great. Yes. Um, if you ask me tomorrow, it might be three different things. But <laughs> I do feel that those are a good one, two, three for now. Don't worry. We'll have you on the podcast again, okay. Siana. Certainly. Um, so I really am just so fulfilled with this interview and all <laughs> the beautiful things that you shared thus far. Um, but I wish for you to share with us one more golden nugget, just like a, a, mm. a, a very resonant, hmm. something that's helped you on your path that mm. you feel is going to be helpful for the teachers and the students of yoga who are listening today. For me, it really, the, the essence of all of this really is love. It is. With self-love and allowing ourselves to be loved and willingly loving others, like beautifully and consciously loving others. And so much of my healing came through taking time in nature because nature is pervasive with the all-loving force. Pervasive. If you go sit by a, with your back of your heart up against a tree by the edge of a creek and you just pray and open yourself to listening, the essence of love begins to permeate through you. All of nature is alive in the essence of love. And I feel so much of my personal healing has come through being in nature. And so I'd like to leave us with that for now, to spend time in nature and feel the breeze against our skin, let the light soak into our body, bathe under moonlight, dance under stars, swim in creeks and rivers and lakes and oceans and delight in the play of the universe through the winged ones and the four-legged ones and the swimming ones and the colorful ones and the big bold ones and the inconspicuous ones and the reptilian ones and underneath the earth ones and just all forms of life like to celebrate life fully and be with nature and in communion with nature because we are nature mm -hmm. and then the matter so we're back to where we started really the prakriti is not separate from the purusha the matter is embodied divinity all of nature is all of life is all of love is all the creative stream of the forces of the cosmos That, <laughs> that seals it. That is the, <laughs> the blessed seal of this interview. And I am so grateful for your knowledge, for you sharing your wisdom and your truth with the Yoga Revealed podcast mm. listeners. All you beautiful listeners out there, this is Sianna Sherman, mm. my amazing teacher and an absolutely gorgeous soul. May we thank her for her knowledge mm, today. Thank you. And Andrew, thank you for your great 
embodied radiant beauty thank you so much and i i wish to offer in the way of the embodied alchemical union a blessing of the dance of shiva the steady ground and the pulse of the flowing shakti dancing and alive within all of us in their love making that every single one of us be an alchemical vessel of shiva and shakti of the ground and the sky of spirit and matter and of love ignited and our magic into the world blessings namaste namaste <laughs> our natural essence is love <laughs> that was absolutely awesome so fun thank you oh my goodness thank you for tuning into the yoga revealed podcast you can learn more about Sianna Sherman at SiannaSherman.com. Make sure to check out her awesome online platform for upcoming trainings, workshops, and her travel schedule. For daily inspiration, do check out her Instagram too. And I've got some awesome news for you, yoga revealers. This September, I'm leading a yoga adventure retreat to India. Come on a fully curated magical journey with me to explore some of India's most sacred sites, like the Taj Mahal, the Bodhi tree where the Buddha reached enlightenment, and the powerful Ganges River. We will build mental and physical strength as we reveal the true depth of yoga's roots in India. Together, we will build physical and mental strength as we reveal the true depth of yoga's roots in India. For all the details, visit yogarevealed.com. Namaste, yogis. Live light, shine bright. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.